Welcome to A Pitcher of Beer with Stick It In Your Ear, a 24-year-old record store in Springfield, Missouri. I'm your host, Nathan Weidman, here with owner Wes Nichols to drink beer and unlock the black holes of his mind. So grab a beer and attempt to understand the wealth of useless but kick-ass information. We're on number 18, right before Halloween. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to talk about some spooky music. Kind of Halloween-related stuff, you guys. I don't you know. You could probably start with Robert Johnson. He was a pretty spooky in the, everything that kind of surrounded. You know, he made a deal with the devil. He went to the crossroads. You know, guys, I've been to the crossroads there in Clarksdale, Mississippi, and there's a big fucking church's fried chicken there. It's not very spooky. There's a bus stop. Uh, there's a shoe shine place there. Don't think that happened, but it makes for good, uh, you know, good press. Good press. Good, good, good press. And uh, the real story was that he was screwing uh, one of the bar owners' girlfriends or wives, and uh, you know he would he would get rides or he would walk to the next gig, and when he came back through town. The next time, the bar, the uh, owner, bar owner, had it in for him and uh, laced his uh, imbibement, his cocktail with uh, poison, and it makes sense because it took it about two or three days before it ate through his stomach and ultimately killed him. But uh, once again, in in the creepy realm, he was 27, as so many of these guys were. There's no denying that that's a very common age and a very bizarre unexplainable uncommon time for uh, all these guys to die over the years but that gets us up to probably current time in the 50s which I would think even before uh, the song we all know that was a number one not once or twice but three times over the years was a song called The Monster Mash by Bobby Boris Pickett and that was, I believe, in 62 or 3. But to predate that, there was a cat in the late 50s who was very uh, Little Richard-like. And uh, his name was Screamin' Jay Hawkins. And he only had one hit. Uh, but it, the, the song was I Put a Spell on You, which later, Creedence Clearwater Revival, just I remember Fogarty on NPR many years later saying, I grew up on that song. So many of the, the Creedence songs were based on uh, kind of scary things because I was such an incredibly huge fan of the Screaming Jay Hawkins song. And uh, it really, and we'll get to CCR here in a little bit, work our way up, but uh, that definitely, once you kind of know that I put a spell on you, and they did a great, 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 probably a better cover of it than the original Screaming Jay Hawkins version. But... The great thing about Screaming Jay was back in the late 50s when, you know, Jerry Lee Lewis was, you know, shaking his butt and jumping on the piano and, and uh, you know, <laughs> Little Richard was pounding away and jumping on it and rolling around and Elvis was shaking his ass. And Screaming Jay Hawkins' uh, gimmick was that they would bring out this coffin on, this, on stage and they would, some guy would open it and by God, there he was. He was, uh, he came out. Which was so cool and original back in the day. That had to be 56, 7, 8, somewhere in there. And in between there, kind of sandwiched between then and the, the Monster Mash in 62, 3, 4, was a uh, 
a TV host by the name of Zachary, and this Zachary guy would, uh, that was back in the day when not only were you on TV, but to make extra money, you would go around to the theaters. It didn't matter if it was Tyler, Texas, or Mobile, Alabama, or, uh, you know, Albuquerque, New Mexico, or L.A., or New York, or Hollywood, Florida, or these guys would go on the weekends, and they would show up and uh, actually, you know, they would host you know, a horror movie marathon in your hometown. And it was just such a cool, I didn't experience it, but my, my father, who uh, was a boy in, uh, in the town of Idabel, Oklahoma, had told me that um, Boris Karloff showed up there one time in full regalia. And, and this had to be way, way after the uh, 31 or two version, the original version of Frankenstein, I think it was 31, but uh, this was probably 40, six seven 1946 or seven and he shows up and and there's no telling they probably paid him a thousand bucks and back then that was great money to just walk up and down the aisle one time in his uh, in his uh, frankenstein uh makeup and suit which i you know you couldn't you could never have that kind of coolness these days but back then it was um it was an amazing time so there was kind of a gap between the the early 60s and the late 60s. I, I can't think, and, and maybe some of you uh, podcast listeners can correct me or add to it, but I don't remember. I remember there was a dry spell from the early 60s to the late 60s of uh, songs or groups that kind of emanated uh, kind of a scary deal. The next thing I could think of was probably uh, late 69 when Disney somehow in the in the corner of Disneyland they were allowed to make what became a band record and if you can go out and find that record these records go for a hundred bucks and up and it was called the Haunted Mansion yeah and even I remember some Disney specials you know they used to put on this time of year and uh yeah I don't think they do anymore they probably didn't, haven't done that since I was 10 but those old shows where Vincent Price comes on in the beginning and he like gives you this little twenty second intro, right? And right. then you go right into sure, right into right. whatever the show was about, right? But, Absolutely. Well, that was kind of the the heyday of you know Saturday nights that uh, mm-hmm. on early cable you could get like there was Zachary who kind of was more of the late fifties through the early seventies. And I remember there in Blythe, California, where I was born, uh, was a, and his name escapes me now, it was like, uh, oh, and the guy died just recently, I, in, in the last five or ten years, but it was kind of the, basically the Zachary taken to a different level, and he would introduce these old schlock, goofy 50s horror movies It came from, you know, outer space and all these you know, man with a thousand brains and things like that. But uh, to get back to the Haunted Mansion thing, I remember I was four in 1969 when that came out, and I immediately, you know, I've always been a horror movie fan. And it's sometimes it's just in your DNA. You know, you, you can't explain why you like the things you do. And I remember making my mom 
buy me the Haunted Mansion record because it just had a cool cover. And I remember getting that thing home and I just cracked the seal on it and played the thing and I fucking took it off in the first minute. It scared the fuck out of me. It was so <laughs> not, and not because of, it was gory it's on audio. Eerie, like, it was a very like eerie, could, it was almost like you were in this haunted house yeah. and there, and of course your mind, and, and I'm a 52 mm. year old man and I really, yeah. I would prefer not but, to listen to that but record one of alone. those one of those feelings, and I know what you're talking about when you're like out by yourself in the woods taking a piss or something and you hear a little it's probably a squirrel, right? But sure. it's the same kind of feeling. It is like, that feeling, and it pray. And what it did was, it was so good at what it did. And there was a guy named Thurl Ravenscroft that was the narrator. And of course, you know, we'll all kind of know out there. If you don't, you do. You will now. He was Tony the Tiger, the voice of Tony the Tiger until he died about ten years ago. And he had this booming. Uh, baritone voice and he made it was very commanding whatever he could read the bible and you'd be you know encapsulated by it because he just had this incredible voice but it had a young ron howard from uh, you know happy days and uh, of course his career you know uh, andy griffith and then his directing career but uh it's it, it just totally scared the fuck out of me for many many years and so they pulled it and i wasn't the only kid because they pulled it from release and now those Haunted Mansion 33s and 45s are worth pretty good money. So if you guys ever see any uh, clean copies out there, you know, grab those things. Uh, there's a guy, of course, that, that uh, I consider, even though he, he didn't do anything musically, he had many albums, but they were all spoken word, and that's one of my heroes, Vincent Price. And I wrote that guy when I was a six-year-old in Blythe, California, my school Appleby and uh, didn't hear anything six months a year a year later I get back a uh, five by seven signed by that guy and I've never it still is, is my probably my most prized collections as a human being that he would write back and and he kind of connected the old school horror with new school and we know him as uh, as being you know the younger, younger couple of generations as the the sound of Thriller. He's the intro. Yeah. He, he speaks the intro yeah. to Thriller. But uh, he's he had such an incredible career, and he started in the fifties with Roger Corman, and did all the the Edgar Allan Poe movies throughout the sixties, early seventies. He did incredible uh, Doctor Fives movies. Um, you know he was House of Wax guy, and the last thing he did, which the current generation probably will know was Edward Scissorhands and he died a couple of days after the last before right after that movie yeah. wrapped and uh, just one of my probably my biggest hero he was and, a, and he was like, a St. Louis guy yeah and I don't know I, if anybody knows and that. I feel like it's it's easy today to do horror because we're so conditioned to that it's got to be gory the and gore. it's got to be nasty right right and this guy did it right. I mean it wasn't absolutely gory not. and it wasn't absolutely nasty not. and it it well, it takes back a, then. It was a really different. It takes kind a of, special storyteller to scare the fuck out of you without yeah. deluding, without deluding everything with yeah. gore. Right. I mean, it's, showing you some guy especially guy just got now, his head cut off. Especially now. showing you that some guy, right. you know, just. But I remember when that shit first came around. The first days of you know Halloween and Friday the Thirteenth. Gore has its place, yeah. man. Love oh, yeah. It. Love it. Oh, yeah. And uh, another one of my heroes who I've gotten to meet several times over the year, 
uh, special makeup effects guru is Tom Sabini and uh, and he's like me. He said, "Man, those now we never thought we'd talk about the good old no. days as the gore days, but they, you know, everything is so gone to CGI." Yeah. Well, just in the last probably ten years or so, there's been a a concerted effort to go back to actual physical effects, yeah. you know, the latex effects, mm. and actually doing it where you know it's actually, you know, blood, sweat, and tears doing that effect rather yeah. than something you can just kind of change computer. on yeah. the computer. Just do it. Um, but that kind of gets us into the 70s. And the 70s, yeah. once again, I can't say enough about, you know, people don't talk about CCR. Listen to, listen to Creedence Clearwater and Revival songs. There are a lot of those songs that talk about graveyards There's and werewolves. A, Bad Moon Rising is about yeah. a, a wolf man or that a serial eerie killer. kind of background. Yeah, and, and, you, and Fogarty on NPR, probably this was five or six years ago, said, you, you, I don't think anybody knows how affected I was of screaming Jay Hawkins, I put a spell on you. We covered it. We did Bad Moon Rising. We yeah. did Graveyard Train. We did all these songs that when I was a kid, I watched those Zachary uh, introduced things and those Vincent Price movies of the 60s. And, and, and we should be right up there with the Misfits and, you know, having songs that related to horror movies and scary movies. And that kind of gets us into the into the current strain, of course, we can't really talk about, even though the songs didn't relate to uh, horror movies, but the kabuki makeup and the whole gist of the Kiss. Premise. The yeah, premise. Yeah, the premise of this. Dark, spooky. One band, yeah. Right, mm-hmm. right. Uh, Very. And, and, of course, the grandfather, I think, of, uh, of kind of shock rock is, is our boy Alice Cooper, who I, the first first rock show I ever saw, Alice Cooper at the uh, Tarrant County Convention Center in Fort Worth, Texas. And, I mean, it was just amazing that, that they would put that kind of Grand Juino French horror thing on stage, and I'd never never seen anything like it. And Coop still puts on an incredible... Man, you're talking about bang for your buck show. Alice Cooper is still a huge, huge presence on, uh, on, the, on the tour, on the road. You know, uh, bleeding into the '80s, I guess we got to maybe say, uh, even though Michael Jackson's career, once again, he was a huge horror movie fan, huge, yeah. huge, huge, huge. And the short film that he and did his, on Thriller, and yeah. the album Thriller, yeah. and the fact that he got Vincent Price, uh, which was yeah, which was be. at my generation, it, Michael Jackson was a, a little younger than me, but not by much, maybe five or six years, and. Uh, and uh, he he appreciated and loved those Saturday night, Zachary, Vincent, uh, you know all those great fifties and sixties. And I think that was what he was kind of in it. Great stuff. John Landis directed that short film. Yeah. And Rick Baker, that did American Werewolf in London, did all of the fe- yeah. uh, makeup well, effects for Thriller. And what is now thriller. a Halloween tradition? I mean that. Now it's a and tradition. We were just talking right. about that not long ago, but. Halloween tradition. I mean, it is. turn that into Absolutely. something that's done Absolutely. every year. Yeah, and that's right. Even here in in, uh, in this area in Springfield, Springtown, they, yeah. they do it. They I think it's five, six, seven years down the line now that they've been yeah, doing been on Commercial Street. They 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 have this, you know, several people that do the makeup and they go and they do the walk and it's uh, it's kind of down the street. They close, close down, down the street, street and man, let these know? people dance and oh, it's amazing. I mean, it, and it you know that is. takes us maybe into the current. There's not that many. You know what ran its seventies and eighties well, without getting into like this 
death metal. Right. Like, well, yeah, I mean, you could go into a deal that's just all gore and it's sure, all, and it's, it has its place, but but really, I mean, current current right. uh, Rob Zombie is one oh, of the Rob Zombie. Talk, Rob talk about him for a while. Uh, Rob and White, White and Rob. White, oh, yeah, White. Right. Yeah, White. Yeah, that was. But my deal, you know, after he started making films, it was really one of those, like, Educated Horses, that album alone was one of those deals, like, 17-year locusts was on it, and it really got into the, the almost biblical versions of death and mayhem, and uh, that was one of my favorite albums from Rob Zombie is Educated Horses, and I, I love that one. But the you Horrible know, title. Yeah, yeah. Horrible it title. It wasn't a great title. It should have been, you, I will cut your fucking head yeah. off. Yeah, but like, and there was like even interludes on that deal. Like I saw a Filipino cab driver so cool. cut out of cancer with a rusty butter knife. Right. And you're just like, what right. the fuck just yeah. happened here? I think probably that and is, it, you're right, his most underrated album with yeah, a horrible it was title. Just, yeah, but it was, like, it was like this biblical song after this biblical song after... And he just, I don't know how he did it, but it really was this kind of creepy... You know, he like, was, he was. I think, maybe reading a lot of the Bible because at the time, I remember watching Halloween 2, his, that, his remake was, of Halloween yeah, and 2. and it was right before the Lords of Salem. I want to say right, it was like but, Halloween, but Halloween. What I was getting at was he had something, he was reading the Bible, must have been about, uh, because he had the horse, the white horse in Halloween yeah, 2. Yeah, that's which, true. If you yeah. know... That that's the, the the pale horse of death. Yeah, and he had it several times in mm-hmm. Halloween too. That yeah. this innocent animal was purported to be the one that takes you yeah. to the end of the but road. But after his mom, you know, that was in the first film after his mom died. Right, and then they they go. brought her back, and it was just hallucinations. It right. wasn't her. It right. was these visions. But for him to have that, I think horse yeah. thing was but on I his head. Yeah, but I want to say, yeah, it was right. And then see, Lords of Salem came out, and then that incredibly underrated movie. Yeah. Loved it, psychedelic yeah, it horror, yeah, it and good. nobody got it. Nobody and then there it. was a whole other album out on that one about the witches and sure. Right. Well, there are a lot of his songs about witches and. I, I just think that guy. Rob Zombie I've, is, I've met that cat a couple times, and just a normal, cool guy. And you talking about yeah. somebody that loves. He, I've, I've heard he has this massive collection, as does Kirk. We, you don't want to finish without talking about Kirk Hammett of Metallica. They Metallica, say has yeah. the biggest original collection of horror memorabilia. He has an entire house mm-hmm. that he had to open up to the public to show, and and because he's got so much stuff that he owns that's horror related. But uh, but the, the couple times that I met Rob Zombie. Very laid back. One didn't give a shit about talking about his music that yeah. much. Wanted to talk about horror movies. Yeah. Man, if you got, do you have that? I've got it on VHS. But no, where'd you find? Do you find a bootleg copy of that on DVD? Where'd you get that German? It's got 16 extra minutes. Yeah. He was just like a, a, a eight year old mm-hmm. when you started talking about stuff. That, yeah. You know, horror movies and, and things like that. But uh, well, he, and it might be, and, and I feel like his Halloween movies are good. But it might be he's starting to do this homage to a certain genre of right. that like almost like that 70s Texas Chainsaw Massacre style of horror you know it's it's really dirty and it's really nasty and it's almost low budget sure it is it is this. kind of a blend of the 80s 90s gore and this innocent scare you yeah. spooktacular type thing if you really watch House of a Thousand Corpses Mm-hmm. Even though it is terrifyingly, like, 
impending torture, gore a little bit here and there, but not a whole bunch. The whole the whole premise is a very old school, eight millimeter Zachary hosted yeah. Saturday night like scare these, movie. These, these really and it's like supposed to be cheesy innocent. advertisements. Yes, 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 this, yes Well, this yes, ride, yes. and I read an article about that ride in the gas station. You know where they go sure. meet Captain Small. That right. was a ride at. Universal Studios or something. Probably and they way, had to way change, back in the day. Yeah, and they yeah. had to change the name of the ride either in the film or in the for copyright reasons. No, because they didn't want the, they didn't want his version of this. Oh, really? Of this ride huh. to be like put with the version that. Well, I think he did a little extra in it or yeah. something. Like there yeah. was some stuff in there that probably sure. wasn't on the. But he didn't. They didn't want it to be like. Like this is the same thing, you know. Yeah. They didn't want two two worlds colliding, and they, like his movie was way obviously way worse than this ride was. But they didn't want that to be connected to the ride, right? Of what it ha- when it happens. Well, there was uh, uh, there's he, a there's a cool little sidebar there. When I first moved Morrison, my thirty year old, into Hollywood, he was living on Wilcox in an apartment complex. And little did we know, it took it took Mo about two years to figure out that Tiny, the big seven foot, in in actuality he was really kind of sideshow fodder. Yeah. And he was this big, you know, kind of disfigured guy, and he lived with his mom. Literally, mm-hmm. I don't think I ever told you this. Two houses down from Mo's, yeah. And but he figured he did. He once he found out. Excuse me. Once he found out, he did. He would see him every once in a while, and he died not because those those people that are that, it's acromegaly, I think it yeah. is, where your your joints you are bigger to, and, and you, you get to, your you bones have, stretch out. You stretch, you and you to, don't have good circulation. Yeah. And he died living there with his mom, like two houses down from the Wilcox apartments. And and most said he would see him walking to and from getting a taco mm-hmm. or yeah. getting groceries and then he was just this normal, and i read things this normal and he guy. was a super nice yes guy too yeah. like you could sit down and talk to him or and it wasn't he, in some movie called something fish magical fish no it was um the wonder fuck, ewan mcgregor was in it um, wondrous it would have big a, fish i big, think it was big fish something yeah something fish. and it yeah and it was a story yeah, this but be- he, beautiful but, and it yeah. was a whole tall tale supposedly yeah, right, and then it got right, to the end of the movie right. and you were like oh shit it was real but well, yeah he went in right. uh yeah i want to say it was but big yeah. fish big fish well, maybe. Yeah. and he uh, yeah he but was anyway, in that too he anyway, was in that too yeah most and he always he was played just, uh, that that one kind of character but yeah. he was a super nice guy i mean would talk to you about any yeah. i've read well and once like again when they made the sequel to a house of a thousand corpses which was devil's rejects, devil's rejects. they had more written in for him yeah and he and they died and while they, they died. He died, he died the while they were filming. So they they yeah. had him dragging somebody that next morning, and then they only could use mm-hmm. a couple of other. And it was that was just a horrible. I don't think he made it to thirty, did he? Twenty eight, twenty nine, thirty was how old the guy was. No, I don't I, think he made it to forty. Yeah, I but say he, was he was still 30. living with his mom. I know yeah. that because they. I want to say on, he was thirty. They were something. living there on Wilcox. And see, did you read? And I read this week too that there's a sequel. There's going to be a sequel to The Devil's Rejects. By God, there should already. be. Yeah, Two already in the works. Incredible movies, and you know, I think uh, to beat a dead horse once again, horse. There you go with horses. Yeah. I think when I'm an old man, there will be people that look back on. Rob Zombie's movies as more effective and poetic and 
with more substance than yeah. now. They, oh, the guy that remade this or the guy. Yeah. I think he's been kind of you know, misjudged and underrated as a director. Oh, and yeah. I think these movies. He really has, man. You know, they, well, throw away this or throw away that. But mm-hmm. I think, and I just hope. He told me the last time before he had made Lord Just Said Him, I'm done. I'm not going to make movies yeah, anymore. I said, you're he, kidding. He's got to. But he made, after that, he made Lords of Salem and he made 31. And I just hope he keeps making them because uh, even if you have to crowdfund things like that, yeah. I think he's an well, important, 31 was he's an important uh, but I, contemporary director, that, especially for horror. Yeah. And I, I can't think of anybody else that's doing a better job than he's well, doing. Well, yeah, and I'm not going to stick up for you know? that cartoon that he made or anything. But, right. I mean, right. there have been a couple of yeah. shit movies out of it. Uh, and I, I don't want to finish this podcast without at least plugging uh, DJPs. If you guys haven't heard Hell oh. on Wheels 2, it's at the store. Yes, guys. Signed copies. An amazing cat. Go get them. Best um, DJ on the planet a few years ago. He's right here with us in a couple weeks. We're going to talk about hip hop. And, and he'll be I can't here. I can't say enough about that guy. He's he's probably my best friend on the planet. I've known him for 25 years, and he's just a big horror fan, if not more than I am. And we're yeah. looking forward to it. Maybe next week, but if not, we're gonna we we're gonna to. get by it, yeah. and we'll do it. And uh, it'll be won't be so much horror. We might touch on here a horror a movies, little, yeah. but uh, we're gonna. Once again, you can get it and stick it. You have to buy these things, guys. There's 500, and and we've already sold almost half of those. Almost half. And uh, there's there's 250, give or take a few left. It's limited, double vinyl, and it is homage to hip-hop meets horror. Go buy it. Come buy it. Come down to the store. I never plug shit down at the store, but I'm plugging this one. So come down. It's Uh, called Hell on Wheels 2, DJP. Go buy it. And yep. we'll see you in a week or All two. Right. Everybody have a happy fucking Halloween. Stay safe <laughs> and don't do anything we wouldn't do.